Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds asunder and cast their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord has them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and trembling. Kiss his feet. Or he will be angry and you will perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Happy are all who take refuge in him. Whether or not, or why we are not reading the next text in Matthew, we'll be getting there. We're taking uh, a, a week here, um, but we'll be returning next week to the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, we'll be alluding to the Sermon on the Mount in part uh, yet this week. Thank you, Mike, for the reading of the Word, Psalm 2. As we begin this morning, just as a matter of uh, of prayer, um, if you would just just sing this with me. I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, know this. Um, But let's go to the Lord in prayer and sing together. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. Father, this morning I pray that as we open your word, we would be reminded once again of who you are and who we are. Father, may we trust in you. Not in any other thing, but may we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Thank you, Father, for your good and perfect and sure word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would turn to Second Chronicles, and you can hold that, because we'll be coming back and making reference to that many occasions this morning. Second Chronicles chapter 7 comes on the heels of 
the dedication of the temple in Solomon's time. Verse 12, the Lord appeared to Solomon. So what's being spoken here are the Lord's words to Solomon. The Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. This past Tuesday, an election took place. And regardless of what your own political views are on the situation, from the presidential race on down to senator and governor and local and city, county offices, etc., what is becoming more apparent in this country is that darkness is pervasive. <laughs> darkness is all around. You know, darkness manifests itself in state rulings that allow same-sex couples to get married. When God has already put in place the definition of marriage, He's already put it in place. This is not up to vote. One man, one woman, together for life. That's what God's word says. Darkness manifests itself. I heard there was at least one, perhaps two states legalizing marijuana. And some may argue, well, there's, there's reasons and, and it's, it's the state of darkness, wickedness, perverseness, evil, ungodliness. You know, I believe that Isaiah had it right. And we see this very much characterizing darkness. Isaiah 5, 20 and 21. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Church, you don't have to look very far these days to see darkness. All the more reason for Matthew 5, 16, which we talked about last week. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works 
and glorify your Father in heaven. See, there is a need for your salt and your light, church. Remember, we talked about how you are the salt. Fact. You are the light of the world. Fact. You know, regardless of what happens around you, regardless of your personal circumstances, regardless even of the state of affairs in governmental offices, if you are in Christ, you are salt and you are light. The context of 2 Chronicles 7 needs to be heard. Oftentimes we read verse 14 only. There's a little bit of a problem with that. It picks up in the middle of a sentence. Verse 13 sets the context for what's said in verse 14. The Lord here is speaking to Solomon. Look at verse 13 once again. When I shut up the heaven and there is no rain. Speaking to a drought. Or command the locusts to devour the land. Oftentimes when those locusts devoured the land, there was nothing. Famine. Or send pestilence. Some kind of plague, some kind of disease among my people. That's the preface for verse 14. See, some of you may be wondering why things happened the way that they did on Tuesday. Some of you might be wondering why things are happening the way they are in general, outside of what happened on Tuesday. Some of you perhaps wondered where God was. Why didn't he intervene? Why didn't he do something about this? Why doesn't he do something about this country? And I asked the question, is there a man who is going to be a solution to the problem in this country? Is this perhaps not part of the issue with America? We are waiting for the right candidate who fits, here it is, who fits our profile. See, the, the problem with finding a candidate who fits your profile, and I know, what, hear, hear me clearly, I'm not saying we're not to show discernment in how we go about voting for a candidate, okay? We, we do need to show discernment how we do that. Absolutely. But the problem with finding a candidate who fits your profile is this. With every voter, the profile gets modified. Even amongst Christians. That's true. Every voter has certain criteria for why they vote the way they do. 
Some for strictly moral reasons. Some for economic reasons. Some for biblical reasons. Some for progressive reasons. Some for race. Some for ethnicity. Some for gender. Let's just, the list could go on and on. In the midst of waiting for the right candidate to accommodate our preferred profile, are we now bitter about the results? Are we, worse yet, upset that God would orchestrate such events? Doesn't God know better than to allow darkness room to flourish? Doesn't he know these things? I mean, after all, if he, if he is light as the Bible says he is, why isn't he shining making himself known? Second Chronicles says, When I shut up the heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. You see the verse here in Second Chronicles speaks of bad news situations affecting a whole country. The follow-up in verse 14 is also intended to target the whole country. But look at this. Look at this. While the whole country is targeted in verse 14, there is a specific group of people mentioned who will affect the outcome of the whole country. My people who are called by my name. My people who are called by my name. Anyone here claim to be called by the name of the Lord? Amen. Anyone here claim allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ? Anyone here trusting the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth, with his life? If so, then this passage, church, is instructive and applicable right now. You see, in the midst of God's judgments in verse 13... How do God's people respond? In fact, as a precursor to God's judgments, I might ask the question, how are God's people living? How have they been living? Perhaps that's a great question to ask right here today. We are on the reactive side of what happened Tuesday. My question is, what have we done before Tuesday? Is it right for God, this is a dangerous question, is it right for God to act in ways that don't settle with our own way of thinking? How about Romans 9.20 for a beginner? But indeed, O oh man, who are you to reply against God? We sang, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. 
Clay makes no demands of the potter, church. Clay has no right to criticize the potter, church. Isaiah 55. You know these words. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth. Stop right there. As the heavens are higher than the earth. Anybody got any idea how great a distance there is there? As the heavens are higher than the earth. Think about that for just one moment. Because it's important in what he's saying. Okay, hold that. As the heavens are higher than the earth. So are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So now. Are we in any position. To speak back and to demand of God. Our way. God fit the profile that we're looking for. For a person here to lead. Do we have room to do such a thing? Ought we not surrender ourselves to the one, according to the scripture, whose thoughts and ways are higher, as the heavens are higher than the earth, that much? His ways are different than ours. And so therefore, I hope that in reading that passage, I hope we can take delight and comfort in knowing that great gap between what I know and my way, my, my, my way of doing things. God chooses to do something differently. I can trust in that. I may not know why, but I can trust in him because his word is sure. His word is good. I think our typical response to bad news situations, it sounds a lot like the psalmist here in in Psalm 10, verse 1. Why do you stand afar off, Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? Perhaps God is not hiding. Perhaps he's not standing afar off. Have you considered that he may very well be waiting for his people who are called by his name to be salt and to be light that he's called them to be. Have you considered that the proper response here in light of the perverse generation that we live in is to repent of our sin and fall before the Lord in prayer? The problem here is not God, church. It's not God. If you came in here today, woe is me, woe is me. You know, I talked to somebody on Wednesday morning. And I could just see it written on their face. They were upset. They were dejected. They were down. And I said, hey, wait a minute. And this person is a professed believer in Jesus Christ. 
I just wanted to encourage him. Don't be walking around defeated. Lift your head up. We serve a risen Savior. May not have turned out like you'd hoped. But praise the Lord, we have a God who oversees and orchestrates all things. God hasn't gone anywhere. In fact, the Bible says he's a God who never sleeps. He's a God who never slumbers. This God, church, made the heavens and the earth. This God formed the seas. He created the fish of the seas. He commands the morning to be so, and he causes the dawn to know its place. This God has the keys of death and Hades. He comprehends the breadth of the earth. He commands the rain and the snow to fall. His messengers, thunder and lightning, go out at his bidding. The wind, the sunshine, the seasons that coordinate with the changing of the months on the calendar, all of these things are administered with great care by our God. So if we serve a God who does all this, and so much more, by the way, you can read Job 38 through 41, that'll just give you a little glimpse of what God does. And is it a surprise to God what happened this past week? Is it a surprise to God the darkness that's around us? No. His word says that there's going to be a day, right, in these last days. Read Timothy. And you see in the last days what kind of things are going to be happening. I love the passage that speaks to, and there's bookends, it's a list. Second Timothy. I believe it's the beginning of chapter 3. But the beginning of the list and the end of the list are, are interesting to me. It says in those last days, men are going to be lovers of themselves. And the end of it says that they're going to be lovers of pleasure. Is that not happening? And they are sort of connected, aren't they? Lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure. Hmm. I'd like to ask maybe another question. As we think and consider 2 Chronicles 7. Is God perhaps speaking yet today a word to his people? Saying, quoting Romans 13, 11 through 14. Now it is high time to awake out of sleep. And just a side note. It's sad. It is a tragedy. That something has to happen before there's a wake-up call. Why? Why do things like last week have to happen before we... Oh, we got we to wake up. 
Isn't this instructive, church, as to why the Bible says that we are to exhort one another daily? This ought to be going on daily as the day approaches. You see, as citizens of heaven, we live here in this earth. It's a world of darkness, and the Lord has called us to shine His light. But more often than not, it seems like, church, we are reactive to stuff. Instead of diligently, proactively carrying out day by day by day what the Lord has called us to be. Situations come up and we go, oh, and we react to it. And we react. And we become the the reactors. Yes, there are going to be things that happen where we are going to react and need to react in a timely fashion and manner. But I don't believe, I don't believe for one moment that the Lord has called us only to be reactors in this world that we live in. Now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Listen to this. And let us put on the armor of light. Armor here is described as light. This armor of light. Let us walk properly. As in the day. Not in revelry or in drunkenness. Not in lewdness. Or lust. 1 John chapter 2 speaks of lusting with the eyes, lusting of the things of the world, this world that is passing away. That ought not be how we walk properly. Not in envy or in strife. Church, that in particular applies to what we're about here as a church. Walking together. Walking not in envy, not in strife, not in discord, Not in disunity. For you see, when the message of the church gets blurry and fuzzy and confusing, the world looks at it. Does that's kind of what I thought? What a sad testimony. What a sad testimony. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Talking about how to walk properly. This is how we do it. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Another familiar passage. Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. 
You know, the, the, the word here is, he shall direct your paths. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he shall direct your paths. Let's be clear on what that means and what it does not mean. When the word says, he shall direct your paths, some of us have this idea that life is supposed to be comfortable. Life is supposed to be just good. It's supposed to be always on the mountain. Guess what? That's not what I read in this word. So what does he mean? Well, he shall direct your paths. I'm reminded of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. I shall not be in want. And I like the verse that says, talks about your rod and your staff. They comfort me. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil for what? You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What was the rod used for? Rod was a disciplinary tool. Staff was that guiding and caring tool. The Lord as our great shepherd uses those in our lives. Sometimes he's got the staff and he's guiding and he's directing us by the still waters, taking us to pasture that is green. But there are other times when he has that rod. We don't like the rod. The Hebrew writer says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Young people, you might be able to relate to that. It doesn't feel very good when you have to go through chastisement, discipline. In the same way, God does that to his children, to those he deems his sons. How do you receive that? With bitterness? With anger? Wrestling around, squirming around? Or submitting yourself to the Lord and what he would have? There are different ways we can respond to his discipline. To his judgments. He shall direct your paths. He shall direct your paths. So what's the response for the people of God? In these times that we live. We're, we're, just, we're just briefly. We're going to go through a couple of these. And, and, and then we're going we're gonna to be done. But I think 2 Chronicles chapter 7. If you look at verse 14, if my people who are called by my name, here's the first thing, will humble themselves. Will humble themselves. Turn with me to James. James chapter 4. Starting in verse 6. He gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud. Did you see that? God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to God. So, submit to God. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Here it is, verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Isn't that good news? 
Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Proverbs 3.34 says, Surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. Oh, what about this one? Turn to Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, begin with verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. Here it is. He humbled himself. To what degree? And became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Turn to 1 Peter. Chapter 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. Be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud. Here it is again. But gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. That he may exalt you. Here, Oh, I love this. That he may exalt you when? In due time. Notice that doesn't say in your timing. Do you see that? He may exalt you when when you're ready for that, like right now. No, in due time. This is all in God's timetable. Casting all your care upon him. For he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. Stand fast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings, same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. You are not the only one going through hard times, church. In fact, Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, that suffering and persecution is part of the godly way of living. It's, it's expected. It's part of it. But in the midst of all that, I love verse 10, but may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Reminded also back in the beginning in the book of Genesis. We touched on this story a few weeks back. It's appropriate here. Genesis chapter 11. Remember they're building the tower of Babel. Verse 4, they said, look what they say. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. Let us make a name for ourselves. You see, the pursuit of making a name for ourselves. 
the, the great United States of America. Is it because, is it great because of all that we have done? Or is it great because God has shed his grace upon thee? Is it great because we have, or pursuing, and we talk a lot about it, it's not there, obviously. But is it great because, is it going to be considered great if we just get a balanced budget? Is it going to be considered great if we have secure homeland defense? Is it going to be considered great if we have ability to provide more jobs? Is America's greatness defined by its pursuit of oil, its ability to stay green? Is America's greatness in passing the right laws or enacting the right policies or seeing that more money is allocated to education? What is the end of all this? Is the country pursuing a name for herself? Is this the Tower of Babel all over again? I mean, I've heard comments. I'm sure you have too. We've got to do such and such to compete with China and compete with whomever. Is it about getting a name for ourselves? Because if that's what it is, it looks a lot like what I'm reading about in Genesis chapter 11. That's exactly what they pursued. I also want you to see this. God intervened in Genesis 11. It should come as no surprise that God is intervening once again here. Perhaps he's not intervening like you would hope, like you would want. I don't get the idea that those in Babel desired God to work the way that he did. But nevertheless, he intervened. Or shall I say, they intervened. Look at verse 7. Come, let us go down. Maybe if his people who are called by his name started to live as salt and light. Maybe if his people who are called by his name started to be more concerned about making a name for the Lord and not for themselves. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. This is not about getting a name for ourselves. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, if they will be willing to go low, if they will be willing to submit themselves to the Lord and His purposes, if they will be willing to be poor in spirit. First Peter chapter 4, 16. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. My people who are called by my name. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? 
Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Humble yourself. What else? How about pray and seek his face? I believe those go hand in hand. Pray and seek my face. Turn to Psalm 32. Wonderful pattern here for us to to learn from. The Psalm of David. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. Whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Church, now's the time he can be found. The instruction here is that we would pray to him. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you. And teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule. Which have no understanding. Which must be harnessed with bit and bridle. Else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked. But he who trusts in the Lord. Mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord. And rejoice you righteous. And shout for joy. All you upright in heart. Don't let someone, something, steal your joy in Jesus Christ. You are forgiven. You have been saved. You have been bought. You've been pardoned. You've been redeemed. Now let's act like it. Let's walk in that way. Oh, by the way, 1 Timothy, this has got to be spoken here this morning in light of what we're talking about. 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. Therefore I exhort, first of all, the supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. 1 Timothy chapter 2. One and two, let me be clear, still applies. Still applies. Let's be diligent to pray. Whomever it is, doesn't matter whether the results from Tuesday or whether four years from now, four years from there, the call that the Lord's given to us is to pray for those who are in authority over us. That is what we must do. 
the word also says to turn from your wicked ways. In Chronicles chapter 7. Do you find it interesting that that one's put in here? I, I do. I mean, he's speaking to his people. And yet he assumes there's wicked ways. Surely not God's people. Yes, surely God's people. You see, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from your wicked ways. So those first three, hard to do those first three and not do that last one. In fact, I would go so far as to say it's hard to do any of the four without the other three. Turn from your wicked ways. As we think about that in terms of the country, that's big, huge, scope. As I come down here and plop that in your lap, what does that look like for you? Turn from your wicked ways. What might that be? Speaking to the one who is a child of the king. What's that look like? You know, I was reminded of Isaiah chapter 3. It says, For Jerusalem stumbled and Judah has, has fallen because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord to provoke the eyes of his glory. As for my people, listen to this, as for my people, children are their oppressors. And women rule over them. Oh, my people, those who lead you cause you to err and destroy the way of your paths. Children are their oppressors. And women rule over them. We're seeing it right before our eyes. What's God going to do? In light of what we're reading in Second Chronicles 7. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I just will stop right there for a moment. I can't think of a whole lot better than God hearing from heaven. There are reasons the scripture gives as to why and, and times when God won't hear. I praise the Lord that he will hear. But I also see here very clearly there's a connection. There is a connection. Are we willing as one of his people to humble ourselves, to pray, to seek his face, to turn from our wicked ways? The Lord says, then I will hear from heaven. What else does he say? 
and will forgive their sin. 1 John chapter 1, isn't that a wonderful promise? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will what? Forgive us our sins. And not only forgive us our sins, but cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Wonderful promise. What else is he going to do? Heal their land. If you trace the history of God's people, you see that the land was filled oftentimes with gods of their own making. Idols of wood, stone, metal, gold that they would bow to, submit themselves to. I'd like to encourage us as we close. In the book of 2 Kings, there's a man named Hezekiah. I was drawn to his life and story a bit this week. I was reading the king's You know what's interesting is you read the scripture and you let the scripture inform your mind on what's going on. You come to see that what happened this past week is not all so bad as you read the scriptures. Do you realize how many wicked, evil, bad kings there were? Anybody realize that? Does anybody also realize how often God worked in and through those bad kings? Second Kings tells the story and the account of Hezekiah. Look at, look at chapter 19. By the way, I also found it interesting that Isaiah, who was prophesying during the time of Hezekiah, Isaiah has so many wonderful, wonderful words that tie into a lot of what we've been talking about. I encourage you to read some of Isaiah the prophet. I think his words are very instructive in light of what we've been talking about this morning. You might remember the... Uh, the threat that was put forward by Sennacherib, right? King of Assyria coming against them and king brings his messengers and they're throwing out threats and trying to intimidate Hezekiah's people. Don't follow Hezekiah. He can't save you. Has there been any nation able to stand up to Assyria? Right? Kind of the word. Try and give it a voice. So here's what happens. Pick it up in verse 11. Look, you've heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands by utterly destroying them. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered those whom my fathers have destroyed? Gozan, Haran, and Rezef, and the people of Eden who were in Telassar. Where is the king of Hamath? He's going through an account, a list of all these people who have gone down at the hands of Assyria. Verse 14, if you write in your Bible, verse 14 may be one you want to just asterisk. Because this is, this is instructive. (laughs) 
And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers. And he read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord. And here it is. And spread it before the Lord. Spread it before the Lord. That phrase just kept echoing in my mind this week. Spread it before the Lord. And here's the prayer that comes out of spreading it before the Lord. Verse 15. O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open the eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. These words echo in a similar fashion the little shepherd boy David before defeating a giant named Goliath. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations in their land. He's, he's saying, Lord, this, this has happened. Here's what, they have done these things. Have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, I pray, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. Church, I would hope that this morning that our trust is not going to be in man or as Psalm 20 says, horses, princes, you can fill in the list, whatever it is that you might be inclined to trust in. But my hope and my prayer is that we as a church will commit to submitting ourselves to the Lord, to desire greatly to humble ourselves under His mighty hand, His mighty hand. This God we serve is strong. This God we serve is over all. Do we really believe who God is? Or has He been for you word speak? Your actions will tell what you think about this God you serve. You have been called to be salt and to be light. This morning, in light of what we've read, in light of the situation we find ourselves in as a country, in light of who we are as a church, in light of where you find yourself in your household, in light of who you are as an individual in Jesus Christ. You see, we have to consider all of those planes, all of those layers. Church, let us be diligent to walk in the light as he is in the light. And let us not for one moment allow darkness to reign, but shine light because light exposes the darkness. And keep in mind that as we shine, 
we may pay a price for it. We may pay a price for it. But praise be to the Lord God if we may suffer shame according to his name. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope. Thank you for the encouragement and the comfort that your word gives. May we as a people called by your name be diligent to carry out the very things you've spoken here in this word. And may we rest securely upon the promises that you've given. May we also, Lord, be reminded of who you are in this world that we live in, this world of darkness where the prince of the power of the air reigns. Father, we know that you are in control. May we walk in such a way that we realize that truth. May we not walk with head down. May we not walk around in bitterness. May that bitter root not take shape and form in our lives. May we be transformed by the renewing of our mind. May this word take center stage in our heart. May we live as though we are citizens of heaven. And may we be eager to wait for our Savior to return as we wait and look forward to that glorious and blessed hope of our Lord Jesus Christ in his return. Oh, Father, we look forward to that. And in the meantime, I pray we would be reminded of what Jesus has done, has done, once and for all, what he has done to secure our salvation. May we delight in that and be reminded that he lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.